Well, hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to the latest edition of Infection Control Matters. Uh, today, uh, Martin's with me. Hello, Martin. Hello, Brett. Good to see you again. Again. And we've got our special guest today, which is adjunct assistant professor Carlos Maramathu, who's a senior consultant in infectious diseases at the National Centre for Infectious Diseases and Tantok Hospital in Singapore. And Callis is also a member of the National Infection Control Committee of Singapore and of relevance to the, what we're going to be talking about today. Um, he's also a consultant on the Technical Advisory Group for WHO's Carbapenem-Resistant Enterobacteriaceae Guideline. Welcome, Callis. Hi. Thanks, uh, Brett and Martin, for inviting me for to your podcast. It's, uh, it's amazing you guys are doing this. It has been very useful and fun for infection control. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And thanks very much for joining us. And uh, yeah, today we're, we're interested to have a chat with you about a paper that, um, that you led that recently came out in Nature. And it was titled Whole Genome Sequencing Reveals Hidden Transmission of Carbapenase Producing Enterobacterase. And I guess um, maybe we'll, we'll kick off, Callus, with just telling us a little bit about why, why did you do this paper, this piece of work? So um, I must say we stumbled onto this uh, problem rather than uh, designed uh, a study to look at this uh, issue. So we have been running uh, together with uh, my co-investigators, Untek, um, uh, Indu and Jeanette, who are all in the paper and a huge group of people with some friends from overseas, uh, UK and US and all. So we have been running this group, a uh, cohort of uh, carbapenemase producing enterobacterialis in Singapore, it's called CAPES. So we started this uh, project at a, when I was still a trainee, as you, as you can see how long it takes to <laughs> genome sequence a uh, thousand plus highs lakes. <laughs> yeah. I, do, I do like CAPES, by the way, because that implies you're all superheroes with the CAPES, so that's very clever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, thanks. A superhero so, effort to this piece of work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, and, uh, and and thanks to the group, obviously. So what we did was we collected all the isolates of CPE from Singapore hospitals, uh, about 80 to 90% um, population, Singapore populations being served by these hospitals. So we collected all the isolates and we whole genome sequenced them with lots of funds from here and there. And uh, we thought it would be fun to go to the hospitals. Uh, when you are young and naive, your ambitions are bigger and uh, you do not know how difficult it is to do it. So, <laughs> so that's what happened to us. So we went to the hospitals with a couple of research assistants and we collected um, the movements of these patients, you know. To the big level, you know, uh, and daily, hourly, and hospital-wise, and we built an epi picture on uh, on their movement, and we correlated that to the whole genome sequencing data, with the idea of seeing how many of these people are transmitting the CPE to each other, and uh, then we moved on to analyze uh, what is the incidence of uh, direct ward transmission. This is what we are calling it in the paper. Mm -hmm. And as both of you know, in infection control, for us, contact tracing is same ward, same place in most of the same time, same place in most of the hospitals. So we did that and we found that there's a big chunk of them who were not in 
in the same ward at the same time, but they came after the index patients have left the hospital. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and and these are the times when the things, uh, you know, there were lots of papers from uh, Amy Mathers and uh, lots of others that sink and be a reservoir for CPE. So we decided to look more into it. And what we found was very interesting in a sense that uh, when we divided the clonally transmitted uh, bugs into direct ward overlap, indirect ward overlap, and no overlaps, we found that almost 40 to 50% uh, of the patients had no direct ward overlap. They actually went to the geographical location after the index patient had left the ward. Mm. So this this is how this is what we call hidden reservoirs. You know, it's not mm. something uh, IPC defines as uh, transmission as of um, at least a couple of months back. You know. So so what you're saying there, Callus, is that um, you know these these isolates were genetically linked, not epidemiologically linked, using traditional infection yeah. control practices um, or surveillance methods, if you like. Um, yeah. And, and so you, you then the question comes up, well, how? What's going on here? Yeah. So uh, after that, everything is a hypothesis still. We are, we are starting a new uh, study. So as we, so this is where the sink uh, aqueous environment became a hot topic in CPE, as, uh, as we all know. So we need to investigate this more. Is it um, uh, inadequate uh, disinfection of uh, medical equipments? Is it, are there scopes? Endoscope procedure was one of the variables we analyzed, and we did not see a cluster there. So our main uh, hypothesis is that is there an, is there an aqueous environment and also general hospital environment. So we, we are looking into it now to see uh, how do we quantify the portion of patients that are infected as a direct result of acquisition from the environment and uh, what's the proportion the acquisition is directly from another patient the neighbor perhaps or the same room occupant perhaps mm. so this is what we're doing now and yeah we don't know where is the hidden reservoir from this study we just showed that look there is this thing that's going on and let's mm. all investigate what's happening that's um that's fascinating because um i guess in first 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 entrance of course is that it just shows that our traditional approach i guess to to infection control with that sort of time and place and track and trace if you like it probably doesn't cut the mustard here and it you know, shows the value of having genomics to, to help you know understand this further but i guess now as you say now you've got all these questions that you need to answer um because it's <laughs> it's thrown up this remarkable result fascinating and now we go but why how you know so um yeah, so you looked at the, the endoscopes. Um, what there were other things that you looked at in, in to try and rule out at the time? Is there anything you could confidently sort of say, we know it wasn't this and we know it wasn't that, or is still everything up for grabs? So there were two things, uh, mainly the community overlap. So we mapped these patients uh, to the community, uh, their, their addresses in Singapore, and we tried to map it to that address to see whether there could be a signal in the community. You know, we don't know. Uh, what is the community prevalence of CPE? Likely low, it's probably nosocomial mostly, but um, when we trace the addresses of these patients, we did not see any cluster in the community. So we can confidently say this is probably not a community transmission. And then uh, the other one is the scope. We are quite comfortable to say that at a, when we analyze the data on a population level, we do not see a signal, but we do know there are small clusters from scopes that we see every now and then, but 
it doesn't seem to be contributing to a population level of transmission you know mm. there's another interesting thing uh, that you mentioned uh, our traditional ipc the thing is our traditional ipc is doing what it's supposed to do actually so if you see our data we actually found another interesting factor which ipc never potentially did not know prior to this when we design our measures plasmid mediated transmissions these plasmids are i must say they are really um, difficult to handle when we see a clonal transmission which means the bug and the plasmid are the same we define them as clonal transmission if the bug isn't the same or they're not linked but the plasmid is the same we consider them as plasmid mediated transmission almost 40 to 50% of the patients have plasmid mediated transmissions mm. and our ipc doesn't seem to be addressing the plasmid mediated transmission which in all honesty we were not designing them to for, for that purpose you know and we did see a dramatic reduction in clonal transmission when the by direct what overlap So if you see the figure, there's a figure, the figure two. Yeah. I mean, the clonal transmission by direct what overlap just reduced dramatically in the five years of analysis, and that shows our and our IPC measures were designed to do exactly that. So it's working. Yeah. But there are something new for IPC that we need to take care of. I think. Yeah, I mean that's what I got out of the paper that traditional IPC is working. Yeah. <laughs> because you're reducing the clonal transmission, which is the sort of thing that that IPC teams will pick up easily. They'll pick up clonal clusters, but you won't necessarily pick yep. up plasmid transmissions until you're much further down the line. And so traditional IPC it works for clonal, but on, you know yep. the plasmid is going to be so much more difficult. And I'm sure you're right about the drains. I also wonder about there are areas in the healthcare. environment which are much more difficult to decontaminate routinely and i'm just thinking of something basic like a bed you know i was at the shay spring meeting earlier this year and they showed that the risk of acquiring clostridium difficile was high if the previous person of the occupant of that bed had been a c diff case within the previous 6 months but when you actually look at a bed wow you almost need a degree in engineering to be able to take them apart to clean them Exactly, because of the complex nature of a bed, and the cleaners get five minutes to clean the bed, but you've actually got to take panels off to get it at the works. Because now we have all of these, you know, mechanical profiling beds that make them almost impossible to decontaminate. And I'm sure there's, you know, that that's the case for many of our pieces of kit now in the environment become much more complex. Have you got any ideas about where the reservoirs might be? Because I mean, it's fa- fascinating paper. That's why we've asked you to come on and talk about mm. it. I have to say we were we were not surprised but we were stumped by the findings because there's the amount of amount of work that we need to do moving forward is just a lot and um, Martin you you hit, uh, you you were absolutely right when you talked about the other parts of the beds you know we always talk talk about high touch surfaces right mm. and uh, and you know we and they are important definitely important we all know that and they seem to be working but how about low touch surfaces have we ever you know this is the the part where that's hidden and the dust that may just come up uh, just may uh, fly out every now and then you know yeah. so what we are doing now is we are actually as part of this um, quantifying the environmental transmission so we are sampling the aqueous environment 
we are swabbing the high touch surfaces and we are also swabbing the low touch surfaces mm-hmm. to see what is the contribution from low touch surfaces because martin when we and bread when we go to our management you know cost is everything even especially in high income countries cost is everything yeah <laughs> so we ridiculous. tell them that yeah. there is this yes and we when we go tell them look there is this hidden spot here which we need to clean as well the next question that the people may get is why do we need to clean that no one touches the area but that's not how bugs work no. <laughs> and you do <laughs> get dissemination from these low risk areas though don't you and i remember a paper from Curtis Stonsky's group a couple of years ago now where he seeded the floor with some bacteriophage and then just through walking around an aerosol you know everything gets re-aerosolized if it's dry environment dry dust it gets re-aerosolized all the time and there was another recent paper from Vincent Cheng that showed the the uh, the air counts of acinetobacter in the period after changing diapers were were absolutely huge and of course the air doesn't think okay i'm just going to deposit these organisms on high touch surfaces they go absolutely everywhere but then they can get re-aerosolized onto other surfaces so I'm quite interested in the air now. There's a few, you know, there's been hints that actually removing organisms from the air has an effect. But I, I think we need better studies thinking about that as well. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm sure. I mean, we all have, uh, have come across this far UV technology. Like, you know, the 222 uh, wavelength UV, which is potentially protective, uh, not harmful for eyes and skin. So mm-hmm. these are the technologies we are investigating now for exactly the purpose you mentioned Martin even MRSA right that for years it actually goes in the air we, uh, there was a paper before you know when the bed sheets are changed in the morning mm-hmm. it actually you know floats in the air it may not linger too long but it it, it go it uses the air environment enough to go to the next patient or the few patients down uh, down the beds you know so yeah lots of work you know mm. we we've, we've um talked a lot about trireme occupancy risk you know would there as part of future work are you going to explore things like you know treatment rooms where there are uh, medications made up nurses congregating and coming to get different pieces of equipment um, things like dressing trolleys you know all these types of other bits of equipment and and or locations that might might be you know a place where some of the plasmids are uh transmitted and some of these bugs might well be transmitted as well or at least lingering or acting as a as a third party transition so you are you going to you know in, in your future work it's a big big piece of work because where do you stop um but are you, are you thinking about areas other than just the the sort of risk of the last occupant in that near environmental room yeah i think uh where to stop is one question where to start mm. is another question is that it you know <laughs> So we uh, we are starting to look at uh, they're starting from the patient environment the rooms uh, which is the aqueous environment shower you know used Hoopman's paper on shower and pseudomonas transmission you know so we're looking at shower aqueous environment high touch low touch areas and uh, now Brad I must say I never thought about the treatment room before this so I'm taking down copious notes <laughs> <laughs> I can always listen to this back so, yes yes exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so I need to go talk to our infection control nurses. They are the one who knows what's happening everywhere in the wards, and uh, we need to address. Yeah, treatment room definitely. Yeah. If you, if you know, in a, a few years back in Singapore, there was a Hep C cluster in one of the hospitals, and it was actually um, 
located back to potentially uh, blood stains uh, related to treatment rooms and trolleys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that is something we need to look at definitely. And then, yeah, the, the pieces of equipment that go between patients, um, you know, especially the BP uh, machine, Dynamap. You know, yeah. it's just so difficult to wipe that thing. It is. I'm not sure. I, I, I'm amazed at with the way how I, I don't know how our nurses are doing it. You know, you have a ward full of patients uh, and you have one machine for a cubicle. No, no. Do you know, I think, Martin, I think a while ago. Yeah, I came up with a procedure to actually clean a blood pressure cuff. Because oh, it's did? a big floppy thing. Well, it, yeah, but it's not going to be usable in the real world because what you'd have to do is wipe a surface, clean a surface first, put it down, cl- wipe one side, lift it up, clean the uh-huh. surface, turn it over, clean the other side. The chances of getting someone to do that between each case, each each time you take a blood pressure, <laughs> is absolutely zero. Yeah, you know, I even wondered about trying to get a clip you could put on a blood pressure machine so that at least you could pull the cuff taut so that you could actually wipe each side and clean each side because it's... I asked the manufacturer of the blood pressure cuff, how do you clean it? And they just say, wipe it. And I said, no, no, how do you clean it? You know, physically, how do you do it? And they mm-hmm. never they never came back to me. And there's lots of tricky things like that, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, one thing that struck me about the paper is you're showing that traditional IPC stops clonal spread. But how well do you know that you're doing traditional IPC? Is your hand hygiene compliance really very high? And is the environment clean very well? But actually... There are things that we think we would class as traditional IPC, like cleaning a room after somebody's gone home. But that is, you know, every paper from Phil Carling says it's not done well. You know, how how well do you actually think you're doing traditional IPC? And and actually, by improving traditional IPC, could you make it start to make an impact on the plasmid? Or do you think you've gone as far as you can with traditional IPC, and now we've got to think outside the box? I think we need to think outside the box. The reason is because you know. When we say traditional IPC, there is uh, there are two components to it, right? What is uh, what we what we need to do, and how much of it is being done? I, I I would like to think that our our teams are already doing the maximum possible, given the resources, time they have, and award uh, occupancy. So I think it's a combined factor. So I would think that they have potentially reached the unless there's a new technology to do it easier. They probably have reached the maximum possible uh, ability to do uh, the cleaning. I would think, you know, um, the number of patients are increasing, and the number of nurses are not increasing proportionately. Housekeeping cleaners, cleaning manpower is also may not be increasing proportionately. Mm. You know, yeah. So I think we need to find new technologies to do this work. And also find low-hanging fruits. Where where is the high impact area that we for which bug? For example, Acinetobacter baumannii. Uh, when we had a cluster, I mean, slightly unrelated to this paper, but you know, it's dry environment. So when we focused on dry environment, there was another paper. You know, the cartography uh, of uh, microbiome with, that we did. MRSA, ABAO, and all seems to be more on the dry environment, the big side. So when we address that, that seemed to bring it down. But is it sustainable? It's another question, you know. How how much, how long can we continue to do this new aggressive intervention? When you stop, the numbers will go back up. So mm. I guess the the question whether uh, to the question of if we have reached the maximum possible uh, of IPC classical IPC, I ha- I think we have, but I don't think is uh, adequate IPC measures for aqueous environment. You know we know hand hygiene, the five moments of hand hygiene, and 
yes, uh, uh, Martin, you know, everyone will have 90 to 100 percent energy. <laughs> <You Yeah. know? laughs> same, same in Singapore. So, <laughs> yeah. But do we know when are we supposed to clean? How frequently are we supposed to clean the sinks? Mm. Why are we not advising? This is the frequency you need to change the P trap. Mm. This is how, how frequently you need to scrub the steel trap, sink trap. So what is the recommendation for this? These are the guidelines that currently not in, I mean, hospitals do as per their ability and what, uh, what they feel is adequate for their hospital. But I do think that there needs to be more defined guideline. A- am I missing any guideline here? I don't remember seeing any of you. No, I don't remember seeing any. I mean, this is, this is tricky, isn't there, isn't it? Because you, you, the plasmid does make it difficult then because unless you've got genome sequencing, you're not going to know you've got a plasmid whizzing around in your organization and many organizations won't have access to that level of diagnostics. And so how do you spot the outbreak? That's the problem. Yeah. And the definition of outbreak may need to change for plasmid uh, organisms. Uh, the resistomes that are transmitted by plasmids it's, it may not be two similar bugs in a location. Every weekly meeting, when they find three clactula uh, in our ICU, they both all three carbapenem resistant. That becomes something that we intend. But we have 40 to 50 percent transmission that are plasmid mediated. So, do we should we give, provide them with genomics results on a weekly basis? But if we do give them, they also need equipment with the knowledge of what to do with them. You know, it's not intuitive for, to everyone that, you know, if we, if I get genome results on a weekly basis, whole genome sequencing results for bugs from my ICU, I may not know what to do with them. So we in IPC may need to come up with a guideline on that as well. What do we do with genome results? Yeah. Yeah, look, one of the things that in my mind as you, you were talking about this was exactly that. And this, what surveillance definitions are we going to use? To be able to link the term outbreak using plasmids, we need we have to look, think through this quite a lot. So you know, thanks, Callis. You've you really uh, <laughs> you've really created a lot of a lot of great questions there. You can go and answer from this from this paper. This is why I found this paper really fascinating. Yeah, I'm glad you did this for a bit of fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I guess um, Callis, we had we've had in the past and quite recently. Patrick uh, Harris and Belinda Henderson and um, and others um, come and talk about work. They've been around whole genome sequencing and trying to to get that into everyday IPC practice. You know, where do you see yourself and your hospital Singapore more broadly in terms of future and using um, you know genomics to, to help manage and identify outbreaks? You, know, you talked about perhaps weekly feedback. And then, of course, we work out how it's going to be interpreted. But do you see this is uh, something that can be done in the future quite quickly in, in, in with the infrastructures that you've currently got, or is it going to need a bit more investment track? Yeah, um, yeah. Patrick Aries and team have been doing excellent work in this field. I mean, they are one of the pioneers, and they are doing amazing work. And I do think they are probably uh, integrating something else in the line on what's the mm-hmm. impact. So we, we interestingly we did an experiment for fun because we had some fund. So we did for fun. We sequenced all our CRABs, carbapenem resistant A-bar from for almost a year. 
and we gave the results to our infection control unit. We published this in Ichi recently. Um, infection control unit, we said that, look, our numbers are not going up, but you have going infection of uh, four clones, and they are closely related. There is ongoing transmission. Because of the baseline IPC measures, the horizontal measures, cleaning, hand hygiene, and all, it's not creating and the question we got was, what do I do with data now? I'm not seeing a surge. And you are saying there is a transmission. Oh, what do you mean? You know? yeah. And then, yeah, so we worked them. We had a few meetings and then we, uh, we I mean, I'm in IPC, meaning I gave the results and I asked the questions as well. Mm. <laughs> so, so we, and eventually we came to the same IPC genomics. Uh, ICU team and all, we said, okay, we're going to select environment for intervention. There's no other way this transmission is happening. We implemented HPV, hydrogen peroxide vaporization after every CRAD patients and the numbers came down. So now they are believers in the whole genome sequencing, but they like it. Yeah. So I do think there's a role, but I think uh, the turnaround time will need to be quicker. Currently, it's not quick enough. We need fund do uh, this kind of work it's not more uh, it's not uh, it's very costly you know mm. so we need that but i do see this being uh, in the forefront of ipc at least in some number of hospitals in the next uh, hopefully three to five years but maybe five to ten years yeah, yeah. I mean, even if you don't have access to whole genome sequencing actually this paper does give an indication because if you're seeing a lot of uh, you know, multi-resistant enterobacterial RLAs around your organization, you uh, reading through this paper, you'd be thinking, well, half of it is not traditional clonal transmission. There's a plasmid moving around as well. So maybe you've got to think outside the box like you are doing with your IPC measures and start thinking about what you're doing with water, what you're doing with air, what you're actually doing with your overall cleaning, you know, other areas that you're missing in your organization. Because if you're only picking up or able to control half of uh, half of the you know half of it the clonal spread, then there are still many challenges out there for us. So uh, I think it's an extremely useful paper for even people who won't have access to whole genome sequencing for quite some time. I, I do think that we need a paradigm shift. You know, we talked about paradigm shift in. Uh, I don't want to digress in aerosol droplet uh, oh. field, but I do think yeah, I do think we need a paradigm shift in the way how we view uh, environment as a whole in terms of uh, how it affects our patients. Yeah. I mean, uh, IPC seniors before us have done lots of work, you know? They've done lots of work. And I think we need to do more work <laughs> to see yes. how the future IPC, how that should it be, you know, in the next yeah. 20 to 30 years. Yeah. Because, yeah. mm. you know, we're, we're heading to a period where prevention is going to be better than cure because we won't have a cure. Anyway, thank you so much for for joining us, Callis. I've really enjoyed this paper. It's you know, like all great research, it throws up far more questions than answers. Um, but it's it's giving us directions to travel in that are completely different. So I, I want to really thank you for joining us today, and thanks to Brett for being able to get on the call as well. Yeah, thanks, Carl. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, and always a pleasure. Okay, well, I look forward to seeing you in Singapore in a few weeks, and yes. to everybody else, see you on another episode of Infection Control Matters. Bye.